What the hell is a water buffalo? This is a buff talk. Three, two, one. Yo, what's going on, guys? It is Old School Matt here. We are back with another buff talk live today. We're joined by a high school friend of mine, Alex Zane. Alex Zane is somebody who has helped me a ton in the past with some investing knowledge back early when Bitcoin and all the cryptocurrencies were taking off in 2017, I think, Alex. Um, Alex got me into it and, you know, we've been friends for a long time now and we decided let's get on a call. Let's get on a podcast and have a conversation about everything, cryptocurrency, everything, blockchain, and a bunch more stuff to come. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thank you for having me. So, uh, yeah, like Matt said, I'm a toxic Bitcoin maximalist, essentially. And Bitcoin yeah, billionaire. Yeah. Uh, I'm a Satoshi millionaire. <laughs> But yeah, I'm excited to talk about Bitcoin and money in general and how it affects society as a whole. Definitely, definitely. So like I was saying earlier, Alex and I went to high school together. I call him Zane, so I'm going to call him Zane on the podcast. Yeah, well, most people call me Zane. So. Yeah, uh, but we, we went to high school together. We actually used to work out together back in the day. Um, he's one of the guys that uh, when I started the old school Matt name, he would call me by old school as well. Um, so that was that was kind of cool. And we kind of reconnected again in college just because we you know we went to the same high school so alex in 2017 had called the before the bitcoin surge you were the first dude that i knew who's getting into blockchain that was like around my age and you got a couple of other buddies to invest in there um i'm thinking of two kids particularly you know you know talking about shabam and rishi uh yeah. and uh i wonder if they held any of their investments but uh alex well, got me into my talks and they, they didn't they sold them all i remember yeah. one of the kids specifically bought like his dad gave him a bunch of money to buy, to buy, and he bought it at the top. It, but but the top now was is like yeah. all time low for Bitcoin. It was like nineteen thousand at the time. Um, I didn't have a ton of money to invest, but I did put in like I don't know, probably like two thousand or fifteen hundred dollars into the into the blockchain stuff, and it it kind of paid back, you know. So uh, I'll let Alex get into that and how he um, kind of got into the whole blockchain technology, how he found out about it, and his ride through the the past couple of years. So. Yeah, like, um, so the first way I like heard about Bitcoin first was basically through YouTube. And it, I basically heard about Bitcoin through BitConnect, which is a huge fucking scam. And I fell for it. <laughs> but um, yeah, like basically, I was just like, um, typical college kid, oh, how do I make money? Look up on YouTube, see a bunch of videos. You got like the all the stock gurus that say, oh, this is exactly the technical analysis you need to do. And then they, they were doing a podcast or like an interview, sort of like this. They had some guy on, he was talking about um, BitConnect and how he earned some money from it. And he just like put Bitcoin in, like whatever. So that was the first time I, I heard about Bitcoin. So I went onto Coinbase. I bought my first Bitcoin around $5,000. That was the my entry price. So to say, and then I basically did that. I, I fell victim to all the trappings that most people do, which is, they, they'll buy Bitcoin, they get bored of it. They say, oh, what about this other stuff? Let me get a better return. So then you get into like Ethereum and all the other shit coins. And then um, long story short, at the end of it, um, I basically ended up probably like 5K in debt um, and like probably 10K in lessons. And just because like I learned so much, um, just riding that wave, like because most of investing is really just about like, emotions and your mindset more so than picking the right things 
exactly. you can you can buy like the best stock in the world but if you can't control your emotions you don't know how to basically just like have a plan and stick to it then you're not going to do too well but basically just taught me a lot of lessons about two two great things that are in the bitcoin community which is don't trust verify and not your keys not your coins what does that and mean not your keys not your coins great question so and I'll, real quick i'm i'm I might look at the webcam on my phone sometimes, but I have my camera. So if I'm looking like away from you, I'm, I'm looking at you. Just heads up. I got you. I got you. Um, but yeah, so not your keys, not your coins basically means that the only way you have ownership of Bitcoin, what Bitcoin is, and the way you have ownership is your 12 to 24 word seed phrase, your secret phrase. So that's going to be a bunch of words that basically shows you have ownership of the Bitcoin. The same way like, it's basically like your social security number. Okay, you can think of it like that. And like, you're not, you're never gonna show this to anyone, but if you don't have those keys, if you don't have those words, basically you have an IOU from someone else because they're the ones that are holding your keys. And basically like the whole point of Bitcoin is to be your own bank and to eliminate all the trust that's involved with our current financial system. So it's really important to hold your own keys and be self-sovereign and really just, take responsibility for it. And like what comes with that is with like great power of this technology, there's a lot of responsibility because if you lose those words, you're fucked, you know? Yeah. No, definitely. Is that, is that, um, I recently, um, so I got kind of like into the whole wave of the Doge coin, all the shit coins per se. Yeah. I mean, I haven't come out uh, at a loss, so that's all that matters to me. And I know obviously you have way more knowledge than, than 99% of the people out there, but I basically got someone told me to put in some money in something called Safecoin. Have you heard or Safe Moon? Have you heard about that? <laughs> I put in like thirty bucks. Uh, I put in thirty, and then I put in another thirty because uh, I went through so much trouble to get it that I was like, "Yeah, I was like, I don't even know how you like." So, so I went through all those, and uh, is it like what you have? You know, what trust wallet is. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, is that what you're but talking I mean, about? I've heard of it. I've never used it. Okay, okay. So I, I have a feeling that's the same thing that you were talking about, um, okay. but. Anyways, kind of irrelevant. Anyway, uh, so getting on to the topic about, you know, blockchain technology and how you see the future of the economy growing with it, because obviously you're very invested into the whole thing. For those of you guys who don't know, and we can jump on this real quick too, is Alex actually dropped out of college to take on this cryptocurrency lifestyle investor uh, trading uh, lifestyle um, full time now. So if you want to jump on that real quick, and then I can follow up with the question I was going to ask you. Yeah, like um, a lot of people like to say that Bitcoin's a bubble. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that Bitcoin, if anything, it's the pin where it's going to pop all these other bubbles that have been able to basically expand so large because of our unlimited money printing and basically a bunch of other factors that I think we're going to get into later in the podcast. But I, I would argue that like academia is probably the biggest bubble there is. And the ideas that are being spread are not necessarily stress tested against reality. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are going to, are already unhappy where they get basically like a uh, 50K in debt. Like the average like student is 50K in debt. And most people don't actually even have student loans. So they, they're in all that debt for a job that they're not even necessarily gonna get. And because I know a lot of people that will jump into a four year career without doing like a one minute, like indeed search to see if the job they actually want to yeah. get requires exactly. 
the the major that they're getting into. But um, so yeah, I I think um a lot of people are probably better off not necessarily going to college unless they're trying to be like a doctor, lawyer, engineer. I, I, like exact same thing. Unless you're having you need some sort of like degree that that comes with med school or law school or something like 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 you said anything that you have to go to school for like if you want to do social media marketing online you don't need to go to college for that if you want to do graphic design you don't need to go to college for that if you want to become a videographer you do not need to go to college for that if you want to do something in finance you still do not need to go to college for that i'm sure that you know what happened yeah day trading exactly iterating and like keep reevaluating fail fail often don't like intentionally fail but like you have to learn from that shit Exactly. And the best thing you can probably do in order to learn something besides trying to teach someone else it is to ask yourself a bunch of questions. And I think that's the main problem with the way like school is. They'll just like lecture you on a bunch of things, but don't necessarily explain how it applies to anything or how you can use it um, in other aspects. But if like when I'm trying to understand Bitcoin, which like I would say it probably takes like 10,000 hours to actually like really get it and it doesn't happen all at once it's gradually then suddenly but um like you just have to ask yourself like 500 questions like okay what's proof of work well is that actually does that make sense and then you like keep going down these rabbit holes where you're answering these questions and you're thinking of new ones and then you that's how you really get it rather than just like reading a list of like vocabulary words and like exactly it's 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 time effort and consistency with anything and like you were saying earlier a lot of people probably don't understand this or know this about investing. And I'm not, like I said, Alex is leaps and bounds away from anybody that I've ever, he's probably one of the more um, knowledgeable people I know that's around my age group about this type of stuff. But you made a good point. You're talking about like to become, become a good investor, you have to be emotionally strong. You have to know when to use logic and never to basically use emotion. I mean, obviously you can make emotional plays and still make money, but that then you start, you know, having luck uh, become part of the equation. Uh, the same thing in life and working out as well. You know, your mentality means everything when you're, you know, want to get that said performance, whether that be in the gym, working out, boxing, uh, powerlifting, whatever that might be. It's all very similar. The The key to success is, is very similar in many uh, different areas of life. You wouldn't think that, you know, the same mindset of, a, of an investor would make a successful, let's just say, boxer. Um, but if you take them down to the bare bones of what they are, you can kind of see that that's kind of like the layers behind them kind of come down to the, the same grassroots, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like the the stuff that helped me the most when it comes to like investing and just like learning things has been stuff that is not related at all to finance. Um, like the principles of like equanimity and stoicism probably helped me the most in just trying to like both understand myself and not necessarily get so involved because like, when when I was saying before about how we got into like BitConnect and I lost all mm-hmm. that money, like just like trading shit coins and just being like a degenerate, basically, like it was because of my emotions. I had a lot of things going on in, in my life that I wasn't properly dealing with. And because I wasn't addressing those issues, it's like seeped into all these other areas of my life. And I had negative repercussions from that. So like that the I think like the the great thing about crypto like bear markets is you do a lot of learning a lot of reflecting you really get to see what is the truth and that's that's all that really matters in like like getting closer to the truth exactly and and for people that don't know what bear markets are bear markets just mean when the market's down let me ask you that so like 
there's obviously a psychological aspect to trading and investing and anything that has to do with like a fluctuation of, of capital. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that people buy at the tippy top? And I've been, I mean, me and you probably have both have been part of this, this gang where like, we think we're like emotionally stable. And I would say me and you probably are in terms of like our mindsets compared to like the majority of the population. We obviously everyone makes mistakes, but why do you think that we buy in at like the highest points? And then when it's, you know, the, 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 when we have the bear market, we're so hesitant to, to put back in. It's all about fear and greed because like, and when, when it comes to investing, you're always fighting against like your animal nature where when something drops, your, your intuition tells you sell, get rid of this. It's going down where if it's going up, you're like, oh, this is a winner. I want to buy more so I can continue this thing. When in reality, at least if you're choosing, if you're focusing on the right things, it should be the opposite. Like I'm, I'm going to preface this with not everything that crashes is going to recover. Okay. Like there's just some things that crash and they die, you know, but if you're focused on real things and you have an actual thesis that makes sense and nothing changes about your investment thesis besides just the market price is like when I look at investing, the price is the last thing I look at because the price really is just the consensus. That's what it really is. It's what everyone agrees mm -hmm. is the value at that time. And I would argue that like markets are extremely inefficient where everything is an overreaction, either positively or negatively. And that that's why we see these huge swings is like, for example, like last year, like Amazon went up, like from the peak to the trough, it's over a hundred percent, but Amazon, the actual value of the company didn't change 100%. It was just people's opinions and emotions based upon that. And then when someone, when it goes down or some analyst says something then everyone freaks out and there's a lot of just like emotions that run awry. Yeah. I don't really read any of the, the publication, like the, uh, like, you know, how like, like, for example, Robin hood, like they have like their expert analysts. I, I don't read any, I don't know if you do. There's no such thing as experts. Yeah. I don't really, I don't really read into any of that. And anyone watching this podcast, I mean, Zane, you can speak on this too, but when you see like, for example, cause you also do stocks a little bit too, right? You do all types of investing, well, right? I'm, I'm in like one, one or two stocks. Yeah. Okay. Um, but let's just say crypto, for example. So like when they have these crypto experts, uh, you don't follow them to a T I'm assuming, right? Like you never I, just, I, I don't follow them at all. Like there's some people that are knowledgeable with crypto and they've been in like, uh, okay. I want to say this because like a lot of people have this misconception that just because you're in it early, it means you get it. There's people that have been involved with Bitcoin since 2013 that understand it less than someone like maybe a Michael Saylor who just got into it a year ago, you know, like that the, the Asian dude. No, he's, he's on the CEO of MicroStrategy. Okay. Okay. He, he's white. Interesting. Yeah. You, you, uh, Zane, Zane hooked me up with that. I, I I'm going, I'm, I'm holding on. You, you got some big plans for MicroStrategy, right? Yeah. That's, um, like when I say that, like I'm invested in like one or two stocks, yeah. that's, that's my primary one. Like in regards to my stock portfolio, and like the majority of it is in options um, or leaps that expire like later this year um, in early 2022. Um, yeah, it's like over 90% in MicroStrategy. I, I'll, I'll make my, I'll stake my claim right now. And I'll say that um, by the end of this decade, uh, MicroStrategy will be 
in the top three most valuable companies in the world. Yeah, because they do have a lot of Bitcoin, right? Yeah, they have they have like ninety two thousand Bitcoin right now. That's insane. Um, I'm continuing to. So if anyone's watching this podcast, a little uh, side note: if the micro strategy is within your buying power, definitely check it out. Um, but it just makes sense, you know, because they have. It's kind of like like I put some money on, into Coinbase. I don't know if that was if you in, ever uh, thought about doing that. Um, I don't know what what are your thoughts on like the crypto. I guess the applications that, that hold crypto oh, or mean, that, like, like the, the stock coin base. Yeah. The stock coin base. Like you think that's a, like, I was going to transition to that. Like the platforms that you trade crypto on, what do you think about them? And like, what, what's the next moves with them? Well, like I, I want, I just want to preface this that like, I'm not like a crypto trader in the past. I have bought, like I bought some like altcoins and like, I would call them shit coins. Um, basically like 2019, like 2020 basically. Mm-hmm. But, um, when I, when I was a lesser man, I, I didn't know as much as I did now. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would say most everything is shit. And it's either, it's a scam to take your Bitcoin. Um, and like, I would say that any anything that is worthwhile could be built on top of Bitcoin and probably will eventually. Um, but I'm not the biggest fan of Coinbase just because it's basically a shit coin casino where, and like, a lot of the coins are just like venture capital backed and it kind of defeats the purpose of crypto. And so I'm not the biggest fan. I definitely think their stock will perform well. I think it was very like, they were saying originally it was going to come out and be like a hundred billion dollar valuation. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that when it IPO, like it crashed a lot since it's IPO, but the market has been down in general, like with crypto. I think it'll, the stock will probably do well this year, but I'm not planning on investing with them just because I'm, I'm not a fan of like the whole like shitcoin casino thing. And I feel like they've done more to hurt Bitcoin rather than help it. So what would you recommend somebody who's starting to, you think Coinbase is still a good starting spot for them or you, um, and you just don't agree with what they do or you think there's better outlets out there? I, I definitely, there's definitely better um, exchanges that you can use. So the if you are going to use Coinbase and that's within everyone's right, you can do whatever you want. Um, I would recommend Coinbase Pro because that's what I've used just because it's the same login as Coinbase, but the fees are like 10 times cheaper, it's like 0.5% instead of like 2% basically. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be buying crypto, every dollar counts, so you're going to want to try to find the lowest fees. And the from my experience, from my knowledge, the exchange with the lowest fees is called okay coin um now i haven't used it that much um but the one i would recommend to most people that are just starting out and you're worried about volatility and like the best thing you can do and don't just buy bitcoin because someone tells you to like actually try to understand you can buy a little bit so you have like skin the game so it makes you want to try to learn more but don't like jump in heads first without actually understanding what you're doing that's how you get wrecked but um swan bitcoin is what i would recommend to most people Okay. Um, and just to piggyback off this, cause I know you were talking about shit coins and whatnot. I'm not, like I said, I told you before we started podcasting, I'm not super educated on the technical side of cryptocurrency. I'm honestly not very educated with cryptocurrency to begin with. I understand the premise and the understanding of what it is. Um, but when you talk about you're only invest into Bitcoin or Bitcoin like investments, or is that also like Bitcoin cash and all the extra stuff that comes with Bitcoin? No, it's just, just Bitcoin itself. Yeah. Just Bitcoin. And like Bitcoin cash. So yeah. What are, what are all those like, yeah, uh, they're jump both offs forks. of Bitcoin. 
So basically, um, what the the way the governance works with um, cryptocurrency are, are for the very least about Bitcoin, since there is no central authority that says what the truth is, which side note isn't the same with Ethereum because Vitalik basically can just say, oh, this isn't the truth and then they'll change it. That's why there's been basically rollbacks on the blockchain. There was also a 70% pre-mine um, though. So like that's not decentralized. So when we talk about like uh, blockchain, that's like a buzzword. There, there's really no application for blockchain besides money. And when we talk about like decentralization, it's a spectrum. You're either um, sufficiently decentralized or it's an, it's an inefficient database essentially. So, and it's kind of um, like another bubble, you think? Um, yeah, like the cryptocurrency market in general, like a- after this bull run ends, and like there's some people that think it's going to be a super cycle, which means like we just like keep on going up forever. I think there's, I, I think about things in like probabilities. So, like there's a non zero chance that that happens, but I think it's more likely than not that we see a similar like. 70 plus percent correction um, at the end of the bull market. And when that does happen, these shit coins are going to crash 90 plus percent and most of them will not recover. But um, going back to what we're saying about Bitcoin, um, the way that the governance works is if one group of people wants to do one thing and the other group of people want to do the other, instead of something like democracy where like the 51% rules over the 49, what happens is that you can have a hard fork, which is basically um, the two groups or the two camps can split off and decide to do whatever they want. And basically the free market decides what is the best. So far, if we look at all the Bitcoin forks, Bitcoin, like Bitcoin itself has over 99% of the dominance. So I'd argue that the market has decided that Bitcoin is the victor, at least for now. Um, but the the idea behind Bitcoin Cash is basically it's fueled by a lot of misunderstanding about how scaling should work. So basically what they wanted to do was increase the block size in order to allow for like quote unquote faster and cheaper transactions, um, which is basically the equivalent of trying to like make your uh, sandcastle more safe by thinning out the walls to make it larger. Like you don't work on the base layer, you build stuff around it. Um, That's what Bitcoin's doing. But the main reason why so many people did not like Bitcoin Cash is because the way Bitcoin's rules are enforced is by running a node. So what a node is, is basically a list of all the rules that exist. So like the 21 million hard cap, the difficulty adjustment, issuance rate, like all that stuff is part of the rules. So any individual can run those rules either on their own computer or an individual device. And um, when you increase the block size, what happens is it gets a lot more expensive for an individual to run a node. So what happens is the only people that could run a node are huge server farms like an AWS or like a Google or something like that. So the issue with that is that the only people that could then verify the blockchain and prove, oh, this is a real Bitcoin and run the rules are going to be these people with basically unlimited funds or huge corporations. So mm-hmm. the, the thing that Bitcoin is doing is anyone can run a node and basically cost like $200, $250 to get um, to run it on your own device right now. So it's fairly cheap 
for like for someone that really wants to delve into this. Interesting. Now yeah. you, you talked about the big corporations and whatnot. I kind of wanted to transition into this topic. Um, it still has to do with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but there's a lot of like people have been talking. I'm part of a, another investing community that a friend of mine runs and they were just you know chatting and chatting with somebody else. You think the government, the United States government, due to its increasing size and power over its citizens, in my opinion, um, you could disagree with that. But do you think that, you know, the, the overwhelmingly majority, like the growth towards like the globalist type of agenda, and I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theory here, conspiracy theorist here, um, but do you think that could potentially have some sort of like say on what goes on with the blockchain technology? Um, blockchain technology, yes. Bitcoin, no. Like, okay, so when it comes to Ethereum, which is the biggest competitor to Bitcoin, um, and a lot of people um, are like more interested in it, especially governments, um, because like they're like there's a lot of energy FUD um, regards to Bitcoin right now. So like people are saying Ethereum is better because it's going to move to proof of stake, even though it's also proof of work right now. Um, but 70, I think it's like 70 percent of ethereum's nodes are run on infura which is um aws so a couple months ago aws went down and it was impossible to send an ethereum transaction so like you can co-opt these other altcoins but it's a it's basically almost impossible right now to crack to, try to, to, to crack bitcoin. bitcoin right that's yeah. what i've heard but what what couldn't like why why couldn't the government instill some sort of rules on their on their uh citizens because basically the from what my understanding of the blockchain technology and bitcoin especially is to kind of like like in that batman movie like take take whatever the the what was a bane guy says like give it back to the people sort of things isn't that what the whole point of this stuff is to have like decentralized money in, in part yeah like um so like satoshi in his first like blog post basically he talks about the evils of money printing and why how the main problem and like if you guys don't know like satoshi nakamoto is the pseudonymous creator of bitcoin so um and like also um you don't have to won't okay so there's a hundred million satoshis in one bitcoin mm -hmm. so when people say like a lot of people have this idea that you have to own one bitcoin or you can only buy one bitcoin it's too expensive right now you can buy like 2500 satoshis for one dollar okay so segue out of the way like um i'm sorry what, you asked something about like corporations and, no you're oh, you know, okay. i'm saying like the government what what could yeah. stop them from taking uh you know people's portfolios okay. away gotcha. so they could if you're um storing your crypto on an exchange that's why i said not your keys not your coin like mm -hmm. let's say if there's some crackdown coinbase is going to have to do whatever the government tells them to do um so really the only thing that they can can do is basically regulate these exchanges um extremely hard basically make it almost next to impossible to buy from an exchange but due to the peer-to-peer -peer nature of bitcoin like i could there's something called like localbitcoins.com anyone can basically meet up with anyone like in a police station coffee shop whatever give someone cash they give you they send you their bitcoin and like the real shelling point that is that hasn't been tested yet, but will be soon, is the censorship censorship re resistance of Bitcoin. Um, so like, for example, 
a lot of people try to donate to what's going on like Palestine right now mm-hmm. between like Palestine and Israel. And I'm not going to say like whose side is right or whatever is my philosophy. With most things like focus on like the things that are in your control, what you understand. And I try to like, not like talk on things I don't fully understand, but um, people's Venmo accounts were canceled. Like their PayPal accounts, if they try to donate to a charity on either side. So like if I try to send some money from my bank account to someone in China, let's say like the government could seize that money because like the money in your bank account is not your money. As soon as you deposit it, it's the bank's money. And since May of last year, um, there was a federal mandate that the fractional reserve requirement is 0%. So what that basically means is that they're not legally required to hold a single penny of the money you put into your bank. And that's how most money printing actually happens or the money expansion is through fractional reserve banking where you deposit 10 and then they loan out that 10 to someone else and then they deposit their 10 and then that gets loaned out and basically every like one dollar becomes a hundred dollars through this like continuous cycle yeah. of fractional reserve banking so gotcha. yeah they could they could try to crack down on exchanges however i would say it's very unlikely um, that that does happen and there's something called the Streisand effect, which is basically like whenever you try to ban something, it just becomes more popular. Like uh, China's banned Bitcoin in 2013, 2017, they're banning it again now. Yeah. Iran banned Bitcoin mining until the government itself turned on the Bitcoin miners because it was too profitable not for them to do it. Like, I, I just think like there's nothing you can really do about an idea whose time has come. And that's like what Bitcoin is. I think at this point, it's unstoppable. Got you. Interesting. Uh, no, I was just curious because it seems like the regulatory policies in the United States for the next, who knows, however long we can get into this too, is, is only going to get worse until things get really bad. What, yeah. What's your opinion on like government regulation and, and whatnot? Not just with Bitcoin, but that in general, taxes and all that stuff. I mean, <laughs> it sounds like dumb, but like... Uh, Taxation is basically theft, you know, like if we're thinking about it, like you either fork over your money or you're threatened with violence by like taking your safety and putting you in prison where you're going to live off the tax dollars of your neighbors. Um, So like it's pretty much done. And like if you can print six trillion dollars out of thin air, why do you necessarily need to um, collect taxes? But a lot of it is about control because like we used to actually collect taxes from the our enemies that we conquered and like um cotton swabs and stuff that like we didn't use just as like a form of like power over them but like it's not only taxes i would i would argue the most insidious tax is actually inflation which comes through all this money printing and the reason why it's so bad is because most people are not even aware that's going on and a lot of people when we talk about like inflation some people look at CPI, which I'd argue is a horrible indicator because it doesn't include energy, transportation, or housing. And please try to point me in the direction of anyone that could live without energy, transportation, or housing. So it's pretty much bullshit. Um, but like really what inflation is, is it changes for the individual. So for you, it's however much or whatever you wanna buy, however much that costs year over year. So if you wanna buy stocks, and last year you could buy one share of Apple for this much, and this year it's twice as much expensive. That's asset inflation. I would argue that like the response to COVID 
was to print trillions of dollars to prop up the stock market because the Fed and the government have a vested interest in making sure that the stocks go up because a lot of people's pensions depend on it. And also like, to be frank, that's what most people care about. And like the FANG stocks have basically become a savings account because if you're keeping your money in a bank account, it's basically like a melting ice cube. Like you're just losing value all the time. Yeah, definitely. Interesting thought. Um, now, continuing on with like the whole inflation stuff, how, how bad do you think it's going to get? Because there's like people like the, I always forget his fucking name, the Asian dude from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or uh, you know what I'm talking about? Like the actor? No, that. Um, oh, the guy, oh yeah. Oh, Robert Kiyosaki. I Ro- thinking, yeah. Robert, I was thinking Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Robert Kiyosaki, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, he, he predicts a crash coming soon, right? Um, I'm not yeah. too sure who else predicts a crash, but I know there's a couple I mean, other like, guys. Michael Burry, who is like the guy from Big Short, who's played by um, uh, Christian Bale. Yeah. Like, he, he, um, He's the guy who profited from 2008's crash the most, right? Yeah. Um, well, like the, the crazy thing is, is that the stock market could crash in real terms, but still go up nominally. So what I mean by that yeah. is that like the, the, the S&P 500 might be worth more dollars, but less purchasing power. So if we go back in history, like I'm not saying what's happening right now is exactly the same as like what was happening in the Weimar Republic, but the stock market hit new highs all the time in the the Deutschmark, but it was down in purchasing power and like i would argue what's happening right now um with bitcoin is very similar to what happened then with gold and everyone thinks gold is like this very stable thing but during like the late 20s and the early 30s um the gold prices swung up and down plus and minus 80 to negative 50 percent every single year it was extremely volatile but it still went up tremendously. And like most people just think that like gold is just this very constant thing. So even this like constant thing had these huge price swings. So like, I, I think um, volatility is not something to be afraid of. If anything, it gives you more opportunities. Interesting. If you, if you have conviction. Pig, if piggyback off the gold and silver stuff, you think that stuff's worth investing into or not? Um, like not particularly because anyway, so I'll, I'll touch with silver first i did hold some silver last year but i've sold it all for bitcoin just because so the issue with silver is the stock to flow which is how we analyze these like commodities so the stock means everything that exists minus everything that's destroyed mm-hmm. and the flow is the new units per unit of time most commonly a year so the stock to flow for um, silver basically means that there's like a 30% inflation rate every single year. So that it's kind of worse than like fiat money. And that's like in the past, it's been used for like small transactions, but it's not something that you're going to like store great value in. Um, gold has around like a 2% inflation rate. Um, but yeah, like you only really need one store of value. And I'd argue that Bitcoin is superior to gold. Like essentially, if you had all the properties of gold, but you could send it via telecommunications channel um, for basically like $10 within with um, finality within an hour, like that that's at least worth like 10x gold, which is prohibitively hard to transport. Like sending gold across the globe is so hard. It, it costs so much. 
in terms of like either freighting or flying and then trying to use gold in a real sense without mm -hmm. having some third party control it is next to impossible like where are you going to do shave off some gold like at a starbucks like yeah. it's not going to happen and that's the thing like bitcoin is very divisible where like i said there's a hundred million satoshis um per bitcoin so you can buy whole satoshis you can send satoshis and there's something called the lightning network which basically makes it um makes you able to send an infinite another number of transactions basically for free and it's instant so that's like what i'm really like looking for all the new advancements with like the lightning network liquid and a bunch of like layer two solutions got you now let me ask you this because i've heard this before as well i don't remember who i heard this from it's probably on youtube with these big tech companies and the the fact that now i'm gonna piece this together because i don't exactly know exactly i don't remember exactly what they said but see if you can kind of get what i'm going since everything's digital is it possible that these big tech companies like google like facebook can find ways to create their own coins and even and maybe not even their own coins but coins that already exist and track your purchasing like your purchases and use that data and sell it is that is yeah. that something that's very possible yeah 100 percent. like so already we've seen that um facebook tried to create their own currency which yeah. was formerly libra now it's called dm and basically it's like the plan was that would be a stable coin. So stable coins already exist. Most of them are pegged to the US dollar. So it's basically like a digital dollar. And like DAI, seen, right? DAI is yeah, DAI is an example. There's Tether, there's USDC or like US dollar coin. There's um there's a couple other that are like algorithmically algorithmically like rebalancing. Every everyone has their own gimmick. Um, but like we're already seeing some countries like China have central bank digital currencies. And basically that's just a surveillance coin. And they they use that um, to give people some stimulus, some money. And actually the crazy thing that they've done is they add ex, um, expiry dates to the money. So like they'll give you a thousand dollars or like a thousand yen, a thousand like lira or like whatever. And you can only spend it within the week or it disappears and you can only spend it at state approved vendors like money all right like okay so like the the dollar as it is is already 90 percent digital like most of the dollars that exist are in the digital realm like zeros and ones in accounts so but like most people don't realize that because we still think of money as like cash mm -hmm. um but yeah like the federal government has basically said that they are looking into a cbdc which, like I said, it's it's just a, another tool for surveillance. They basically already know everything you're doing. And like Bitcoin is fully trackable, um, but it is pseudonymous. So every single transaction that has occurred is stored on the ledger, which is the blockchain. Um, but it doesn't say your name or my name. It says a string of letters and numbers, which is your Bitcoin address. And the only way that someone would know that is like if you use like a KYC exchange like Coinbase, they could know um, your accounts. There are ways to get around this. There's something called coin joining, which is like you send your transaction with a hundred other people. So like they know that you coin joined, but they don't know where your money actually went. Um, and there's actually a big upgrade coming to Bitcoin right now called Taproot, which deals a lot with fungibility. And like fungibility just means that like, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. 
So that's that's important for any money. Like you don't want to have like one dollar, like a dollar bill be worth more than another dollar bill is then that's that's a that's a bad move, you know? Yeah, definitely. Interesting. But you still believe that Bitcoin will be uncrackable because I talked to my someone I know about this, too, who doesn't he's not really into the crypto world, but he knows a lot about software and whatnot. And he was saying that it would take it's it's like almost impossible to crack the the Bitcoin kind of technology so it it just matters like how you intend on cracking it because the way bitcoin is set up is that it is you cannot crack bitcoin with an economic extent um intent like the way like proof of work it it is set up essentially it, it costs a lot of money in order to mine a block and when you mine a block you put certain transactions in that and basically everyone else, like the nodes and everyone else has a vested interest in making sure that the ledger stays accurate. And because if they say a lie, then basically that destroys the value of Bitcoin. So it's within everyone's interest. So the only way that you could theoretically like create a double spend or something like that is if someone gained 51% of the compute power which might have very well been possible in the early years of bitcoin however right now to get 51 percent to agree and try to like co-opt it would be next to impossible and like i said it's a non-economic incentive so it would basically have to be a, a state sanctioned action in order to kill bitcoin because no person that has bitcoin would want to do that you'd basically have to print trillions of dollars and trying to do that and it's extremely hard to get that much compute power especially with like the difficulty adjustment just like how decentralized the network already is you don't think that any government has the power aka china or even the u.s government or has the the kind of like stake and interest to want to do something like this i think they they do um but the question is like a lot of it's game theory is I mean, like, if a government really tried to destroy Bitcoin, well, then that kind of tells you something. That kind of tells you that they're afraid of it, that what Bitcoin is doing is actually, like, it, it serves a real use case. Because, like, previously they said, like, oh, it's, it's nothing, is this, like, Barbie doll, like, um, like it's, it's nothing, and um, it's completely useless. Then they say, like, oh, it's used by tax evaders and criminals. They try to vilify it. And But if they actually try to full-on attack it, which I do think it's coming, um, then you're basically proving the use case of a censorship-resistant money that doesn't require any other individual to hold. Like, Bitcoin is the only true bearer asset now that you can hold. Because, like, your dollars are, it's a debt um, that is basically saying that the government will balance its books. That's what, like, full faith and credit of the government means. It means that the government will balance its books either through taxation or just printing more money. Interesting. Interesting. So what do you predict in the next 10 years in terms of like that aspect of things? You think something crazy is going to go on? Like the U.S. government is going to try to do something or you think that it, they won't? Um, I, I think there's definitely going to be a lot of countries that do try. And then there's all like 10 years from now, I would say that Bitcoin is between 10 and 100 trillion dollars um, in market cap conservatively. And maybe in another 10 years, we'll stop judging Bitcoin by its market cap in US dollars. 
Um, but like, I, I would argue that the US dollar is going to lose its reserve currency status by the end of this decade. That would, that would be my thesis. Um, and I, we can delve more into that, but there are going to be um, attempts or attacks on Bitcoin and like the censorship resistant nature of Bitcoin is what will help it against all these other shit coins that could be easily co-opted and they have a central point of failure. Um, but for every one country, for every one big nation like US or like China, there's going to be small countries that want to incentivize people to come there, build on Bitcoin, build this new crypto economy. And like, you gotta remember like Bitcoin is something that you can transport anywhere just by remembering 12 words, you know? So like imagine there's these like sovereign individuals that have, if we're talking about in US dollars, they have millions of dollars in net worth in Bitcoin and the government or the, of the place that they currently reside in says that you're a criminal, you're anti-American, like and we're going to try to steal your wealth. I don't think they're going to take that. I think they're going to get up and go somewhere that does want them, does want um, people to work on. And we're already seeing that, like places like El Salvador, 24% um, of their GDP is remittances. So that's money being sent from one place to another. And the way our fiat system is set up is like, it's extremely inefficient. If I try to send $100 from a Western Union here to El Salvador, like the person on the other end might only get $40. And then yeah. you have to also keep in mind, there's only a couple like um, Western unions there. So they might have to spend a whole day on a bus trying to get there. And then since there are so few, there's gangs that um, sit around there because they know people walk out with a bunch of money. So you have to give them the cut. You have to spend a whole day doing all that stuff as opposed to right now with um, the Lightning Network and a company like Strike, for example, I could put $100 into my account, send it via the Lightning Network with final settlement within a couple milliseconds. And the person on the other end will get that like $99.99 and they won't even have to leave their house. Like it's just- Strike? Strike. Strike with a K, like Lightning Strike. Strike, not Stripe, not not the, yeah. okay. Yeah, um, it's a Jack Mahler's fund or firm. And basically he's working with Lightning Labs um, because all these things are layer two solutions. And this is what I was talking about. Like the whole point is that we need to keep the base layer as secure as possible from attack. And then we can build other things on top of it to make it easier to send and transact with. Because like most people don't realize they're, they already use like layer three solutions with their money. Like when you go to a bar, for example, and like you're not, you're using your credit card to pay them. That's like a layer three solution because, and they don't get that money instantly. They, they get the money after like a week or two. Mm -hmm. For the first week, it's a liability on the credit cards company and the bar because they have accounts payable. And then the credit card company has to worry about you paying off um, your credit card bill at the end of the month. So there's nothing stopping a PayPal or Venmo or Cash App from changing the base units from US dollars to Satoshis is the exact same thing. Interesting. You don't think the government might incentivize them to do otherwise? Um, yeah, there's going to be um, governments that try to do that. However, I'm, I'm speaking specifically the US government. And there's also the flip side that the government, the US government just completely 
embodies the fact of Bitcoin. But I feel like with the states that I think that we're going to not, I'm not trying to get into like a whole George Orwell conspiracy, but I feel like it's going to be more towards like trying to regulate cryptocurrency yeah. rather than accepting. And it's going it. to be to their detriment because like at this point, Bitcoin's reached a critical mass where if they wanted to stop it, they probably could have earlier, but like the only, we have, we have to look at like what cards the US government has left in terms of their own monetary policy. And they, they have two switches basically, print more money or manipulate interest rates. Right now, interest rates are basically zero. Real rates are negative if you consider inflation. So the only real thing that they have left is print more money. And basically the Fed has said that they're willing to let inflation run hot um, for a short period of time. So like all they're doing is going to be printing more money, which is just bolstering the case for Bitcoin. And we're going to see like already um, places like Miami and Florida, um, the mayor of Miami has basically said that they wanna make Miami a crypto hub. Austin, Texas, doing a lot of things for Bitcoin mining. Wyoming with the Senator Cynthia Lumens. Um, basically, they right now they have, they're trying to make it so you can pay your taxes in crypto. Um, Colorado is also doing that too. So there are states that is similar like to marijuana in the sense that there are states that are like, that are not going to legalize it or whatever, try to regulate it. Then there are going to be other places that are saying, come here, let's build. Because and eventually the free market is going to determine who made the right decision. And I'd argue that the places that just embrace it now and try to build a greater economy that would allow for more prosperity for the individuals because like we haven't even like got into the social impacts of a money that isn't stealing from you. Because that's, that's like what fiat money is. Your money is constantly robbing you. you. You trade all your time for your money, which the government takes, let's say half of, or like 30%. Um, average person, let's say they pay like 30 something percent. If you're living in a state like California, that's 13% state taxes. And then on top of that, you have inflation, which I would argue um, is probably close to like 10%, at least. I would say you're probably losing one to 2% of your value every single month. And that's considering the fact that 50% of all money, US dollars has been printed within the last 12 months. And then on top of that, if you try to invest in order to not have your purchasing power be eroded, once you sell that, you're taxed again. And if you try to buy something, you're taxed again with sales tax. And there, there's basically nothing you can do with your money without it being a portion being stolen from you. If you just do nothing, put on your mattress, it's being stolen from you via, via inflation. Like look at McDonald's. 20 years ago, you could buy like a Big Mac for 69 cents. Now it's 690. You know, like has McDonald's gotten 10 times more, like has it gotten 10 times better? Or has, has our money lost 90% of its value? I'd say it's the latter. For sure, for sure. That's an interesting thing to think about. Um, I wanted to also hit on like kind of, is there anything else you want to talk about, like cryptocurrency about, like Bitcoin or anything like that you wanted to speak on? Um. Yeah, like there, there's a couple things where like basically, I don't think enough people realized the huge impact that sound money and hard money has on the world. Like if we look at the state of things right now, 
Like, just take modern art, for example. Modern art is fucking garbage. It's ugly. No one likes it. No one thinks it's good. Look at architecture. Look at our basically society that thrives on endless consumerism, where right now, like, over half of all deaths come from basically lack of willpower, where it's obesity, drinking, smoking, all these things are from, it's just like easy money fucks with society on so many different levels. If you look when we're back on the gold standard, look at the rates of obesity, look at the architecture. If like, I would argue that fixing the money will do so much to fixing society as a whole. And it will allow us to plan for the future because you can't really plan for the future in fiat terms when you don't really know what it's going to be worth next year from now, let alone a week from now. What, what about all the people out there that say money doesn't matter? Money is, does, you know, like, you, you know, what I'm talking about those type of people are like, oh, yeah, live your life, you know, communism, socialism, basically. What do you what's yeah. your message towards them? And how does crypto fit into that world with like the socialistic, communistic type of governments? Yeah, like Bitcoin allows money not to matter because like once like I, I got in, like I, I jumped down the rabbit hole, like I don't really give a fuck if I, I made more money out, I, I made less money because Bitcoin, like minimalism is abundance. You realize that you actually don't need a lot of these things that you once thought you might want and you don't necessarily focus as much on money. Um, but like you do need money for housing and things to live on. But like outside of that, yeah, like money is important. Do what you're passionate about, like chase after your goals and all that stuff. That's great. However, we still need to focus at the root problem and address the fact that you do need money for things like a home to live in, food to eat, and et cetera. And when it comes to like socialism, like it sounds great. Like if I'm going to tell you, I'm going to solve all your problems. Let, let's I, stop. Let's hit on this too. Cause you, you did have something you would talk to me about earlier, but if you don't mind mentioning that after you're done talking about like with your professor and whatnot. Yeah. Oh right, yeah. Um, but like, it basically, it sounds great where I'm, I'm a big man. I'm going to solve all your problems. I'm going to give you money. You don't have to worry about anything. I'm going to take care of it. And I, was, I would argue the biggest issue with that outside of the secondary effects is in general, I don't think no one individual is more fit to rule over everyone else than any other person. And that's like, who, who regulates that, those powerful groups, if they have all the power and they make all the decisions, like look out all the time socialism has tried. Everyone is the same and they all get to starve on the same bones and scraps. Whereas the people in power are living lavish lifestyles on all the money. But um, if we actually like address like, because uh, there's a big rise in MMT, which is modern monetary theory and like Keynesian economics, which basically says that like most all problems can be solved by the government printing more money and fixing that. Like uh, a planned economy is a horrible idea. I'd argue today, like we don't have free markets. There's so much central control that takes away from free markets in almost every aspect. And the bad part about printing all this money, despite the argument being that it's to help the people that are poor, it actually hurts them more than anyone else. Because like, let's take the stimulus, for example, um, you print um, $10 trillion, you give it to everyone. The poor people, they spend the vast majority of their money on the essentials like food, housing, 
etc. So what they they give it to their landlord, who then gives it back to the bank. So now they just their money went in a circle basically, and then everyone else. So like they they're hand to mouth essentially. So they're all cash. They don't have any like tangible savings. And then the top fifty percent that's invested, their assets increase as the dollar devalues, and that only um, makes the gap between the haves and the have-nots even larger. So, and like we've seen, like if you look at the Fed balance sheet, the money printing only exacerbates these issues of income inequality, or like the um, just like the the gap between the haves and the have-nots, despite whatever some politician or government-funded economist says, inflation only exacerbates these issues and makes it worse and ends up hurting the people that they pretend to be helping and it enriches them. So yeah, it's it's a horrible thing. And there's never been um, a time in history where there's been inflation and there hasn't been either war or revolution directly after. Interesting. I was going to ask you, when you were in school, you were telling me earlier about writing a paper on capitalism and getting a zero for not fitting the needs of what they want to teach. But you know what's interesting to me is that we both went to the same high school and we had to write papers on Marxism, but we never had to write any and on Karl Marx. I think we had the same class too, uh, Miss Strickland. I don't know if you remember, we had to write about Marxism in her class. And I remember, yeah. I don't remember what I wrote about, but I remember we read about Marxism and all the books everything that has to do with IB really had a common theme of this, like Karl Marx society, communism, socialism. And we never learned about free market capitalism though. The way I learned about that is fucking through the, the internet. You know what I mean? I never learned yeah. it in school. What are your thoughts yeah. on this? Um, I, I heard this quote, I think it's like Thomas Sal or something. It's like um, only an intellectual can do the mental gymnastics necessary in order to think that Marxism is a good idea. So that's why you see like all these people in academia is they're they're doing an amazing job. They, they should go to the Olympics for all the mental gymnastics that they're doing in order to make these things sound good without understanding what has happened every single time that it's ever been tried. And I'm not gonna pretend and say that capitalism is, um, there's no issues at all, but I'd argue that free market capitalism is probably the best system that um, we have. So what you're saying, like I, I was, um, when, I, when I was in college, I was studying economics and philosophy and I dropped out when I realized I couldn't learn either of them from college. But um, like, I think like four out of five of my philosophy teachers were either self-identified as like communists or Marxists. <laughs> um, a couple of them were like blue haired feminists, uh, according to them. Um, but like basically I had um, my final exam before I dropped out was um, I had to write about a time where like people can be selfish and still benefit society. So I was talking about how in capitalism, you can use or do things in your best self-interest from only like um, a selfish perspective. Like let's say I wanna make a lot of money. In order to make a lot of money in a free market society, um, you have to bring a lot of value to people. Mm -hmm. So and let's say I create the iPhone, uh, everyone's lives have improved from the iPhone. And I let's say I'm Steve Jobs, I made a fuck ton of money. So I, I was doing something extremely selfish, but everyone's life improved. And sh the teacher didn't like that, they gave me a zero, but- They actually um, give you a zero or they give you like a 40 or something? 
<laughs> I wish, yeah. They, I, I didn't get a zero on the final. That was just like one part of the um, test, but I got a zero on that question. Um, but that's the thing. It's like, it's the, I would say the biggest problem is that they just aren't necessarily in touch with reality because it's this big bubble where the only people that they talk to are the people that have their same ideas. And because of basically like the endless government funding and the fact that the government guarantees all student loans, there's no real reason for them to make a change. Is if, if schools were run in a purely free market and it was set up where like the only reason to go to college is so when you get your job, you're gonna earn more money, no one would pay more money for college than they could earn within X amount of years for um, in their job. And the free market would basically equalize and it would be a fairly like elastic price. However, right now, because the government uh, basically has said that we will guarantee all loans. And also the fact that even if you go bankrupt, these loans stay with you. There is zero reason for schools to change their pricing. And because of that, we've seen an exponential rise in um, the cost of education. I'd argue a decrease um, or decay in the value that you can receive from them, especially with stuff like the internet where you get, I can watch Harvard lectures for free right now. Exactly. YouTube, you know, like, I can get a four-year degree on anything I want other than like, like we were talking about earlier. And, and to an extent you can, like, I'm sure you can get 60 to 70% of a med school's degree in terms of knowledge, just from going online. If you knew what the right things to look up, obviously I you mean, can't. If my life is in your hands, go to school, go to school, you know, like, uh, yeah, of course. You're going to be a doctor. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to make two, uh, two kind of like par uh, examples, or I'm going to, I'm going to say two things. The first thing is like, I think the best thing that you can do as an individual is to learn from an expert in that field. I feel like, I don't know, you might disagree with me, Zane, but let's just take two kids, right? Let's say that the path to becoming a surgeon is 12 years, right? Med school, residency, or mm -hmm. um, undergrad, med school, and then you have to do residency. For a surgeon, it's anywhere from like, I think nine to like 12 years could be the truth until you're actually doing surgery on your own. So you take a kid at 18 years old, you send them off to UF, to go through that whole, you know, four-year process, then four-year med school, then whatever, three, two-year residency. Or you take a kid straight out of high school, 18 years old, you send him to a different surgeon in his practice every single uh, semester. So he does rotations every time and he goes into the surgery room, learns everything about this and that. Gets to learn the knowledge that he, that each surgeon feels is necessary. Which one do you think comes out on top better um, in terms of being a surgeon? Like, I, I would say I agree with you. I think it's like an apprenticeship is definitely like some. some Obviously, this is not feasible. You, it's never going to happen this way. There's a reason why med school is in place. It like it's like a weed out process. But I'm just saying, like, if I were to put two, two, two versions of Matt through the, the whole put him through the ringer of school for 12 years or put him in 12 years, the day he gets out of college or high school, he starts shadowing a surgeon every day he can learn the the back information yeah. and and you know the medications and the dosages and whatever uh, on his own time depending on what the surgeons tell him to learn uh, i feel like the map that goes into surgery right out of high school in like four years will be a a, a better surgeon than the person that comes out of med school yeah I, I agree with that like i'm a i'm a full believer in the best way to learn is to do and like, sometimes you just got to jump into it before you're really ready. Like if I 
if I like stopped doing something until I, I fully understood every aspect of that, I would have never done anything, exactly. you know, like um, a lot of it is a learning, um, just like a, there's a huge learning curve, especially like for what we were talking about before when it comes to investing, like some people tell you to use like a paper trading account, um, like before you start like really investing. I never did that just because like you don't necessarily have the same emotional connection when it's not real What's money. What's a paper trading account, like fake investing? Yeah, like basically you can say like, oh, I have $10,000. Then you can buy and sell stocks, but it's not, it's like a demo account. It's not real money. But um, so like a lot of people like say, oh yeah, that's what you should do. But like, you're not really going to get a good idea of how you're really going to act until you're doing it. Like there's the Mike Tyson quote, like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. You know, like you sometimes yeah. just got to like dive into it. And then oh, like- A hundred percent. I think me and you both agree in terms of like, I'm not this guy who's going to sit here, especially with the business that I have. Like, I'm not going to sit here and wait three years until I feel like I found something that's ready to put out there. Like, I'm just going to keep putting out stuff until I get good. And like, you've learned with your respective field and I've learned with my respective field, whether that be bodybuilding, developing a, a brand, uh, videography, and now hopefully I'll be learning a little bit more about investing as well too and getting more like serious into it. Uh, you have to make mistakes. You have, and, and that's the thing. We have to make mistakes, but we shouldn't have to repeat mistakes if we can. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there'll be times where you're going to repeat mistakes over and over again. And this is like a principle that I preach a lot on the podcast and different things that I do on my personal uh, page is like mistakes are meant to happen. Everyone's going to make mistakes. It's just six, be, becoming successful is being able to catch your mistakes that have already happened and fixing yeah. them. And like to add to that, it's like smart people learn from their mistakes. Geniuses learn from others. So like a great thing you can do is not only try to learn from your mistakes and one of the best tools for that is either like journaling or like meditating or like if you're let's say when it comes to investing the most important thing you need and I see like I would argue 99% of people starting out do not have this is they do not have a thesis going into it and that's like arguably the most important thing so have a central thesis of why you're getting to, into an investment maybe you can have like a couple premises have an argument and then say all these factors combined mean that number go up this stock is going to the moon okay and then let's say a month later the stock is down 50 percent you look back at that thesis okay did my thesis change are any of my arguments not true anymore the answer is no then okay then people are just having an overreaction it's time to double down exactly. however if your thesis changes, then that's when you get out, not when you're panicking because it dropped by 50%. Like we were talking before the podcast about like how Bitcoin crashed from 60K to like 40K, then like 29K. And I was, I was going to like tweet this like a year ago because I was going to be like, um, breaking news, Bitcoin crashes to 40K. And it's fucking hilarious that people are freaking out now about Bitcoin crashing to 40K when like a year ago it was 4k it's like where, where's your time preference like what, what are you talking about here but um like my the one of my central pieces is or tenants to investing in bitcoin or i would argue bitcoin is saving not investing but one of the main ideas is this endless money printing and since bitcoin is a completely global system it's not only just the us but every other country so when Bitcoin crashes by 
I'll say, okay, well, has the U.S. government stopped printing more money? No. Um, has there been a hack in Bitcoin? No. Was there any double spends in Bitcoin? No. Could I still send Bitcoin anywhere in the world? Is censorship resistant? All these, like, no. Okay, yeah, I, I can do all these things. Okay, so nothing with Bitcoin itself has changed. It's just people's emotions and their ideas. Because I think we were saying this earlier. Everything in the market is an overreaction, either really like greedy or very fearful. And those are opportunities either to sell out because like you're hearing from like, like, I don't know, there's like a, a thing that says like, if your taxi driver is telling you about a stock, it's time to sell, you know, like that, like if, if everyone is saying, oh, this is a great idea. Yeah, it's probably time to cash out. But um, if everyone's saying like people that do not understand Bitcoin at all have told me to sell it, there was like, Bitcoin is probably the thing that requires the most conviction because everyone in the world that does not understand at all has a huge opinion of, oh, it's a scam or oh, it's amazing, like whatever. But I would say most people do not understand it. And that's why you can't really be swayed by what other people think. You have to have your own mental models, stress test them with reality. And when new information happens, you need to adjust to that. And that, that's really the only thing you can do in my mind. For sure, brother. I want to hit on one more point before uh, we have to close out the podcast because I don't want to take up too much of your time, but it's been a very good conversation. We had a lot of different points we hit on. Um, talking about just the whole world in general, as somebody who's investing and who's into like a realm that not a lot of people have, I'm not saying you're a master, but compared to the people that are going to be watching this, and uh, I would say compared to probably probably 90% of the population, you, you can consider yourself a master at the whole cryptocurrency stuff. Where do you see the world changing aside from crypto um, in the next like 10 or 15 years? So just aside from currency in general, do you see like the cha a change in the world socially? Like what are, what are your thoughts? Well, 100, 100%. Like there's, I think this decade is going to be extremely interesting to see what exactly does happen. And like I said, I think in like probabilities. So I'm not like, there's no one thing I'm saying this is going to happen. For sure. But especially if we do adopt the Bitcoin standard, which I would say this is a, a great book to read if you are interested in learning more about Bitcoin, the Bitcoin standard. Um, first nine chapters have nothing to do with Bitcoin, just about money. And then it gets into um, Bitcoin. But I think if we do adopt something like that, people will work less because their money will basically not be stolen from them via inflation. Um, there will be, so there's more time to focus on the more human efforts that are like more creative where a lot of things will probably be automated um, away with either like AI or robotics. Um, the, there's probably gonna be a huge shift towards electric vehicles. Now I'm not saying that that's either good or bad. I used to be a huge fan of that, but the more I've delved into it and like the more I, I've tried to understand, especially like the lithium and cobalt mining which is done mostly via slave labor. And it's one of the worst things for the environment, like, which, which is very hypocritical. Like the lithium mining is one of the worst things for the environment, worse for than like most ice or like internal combustion engine cars. So like, but I do think that's where things are going, like um, more self-driving, more autonomous vehicles. There's going to be a lot of automation. We're probably going to see a move more to remote work and people are going to move 
like out of cities because it's going to your location will be less Around. necessary in, in terms of like where you're working for people can basically do like um geological like arbitrage where they they can live in a cheap place work for like a facebook earn mm -hmm. a bunch of money for a couple years then retire um but that's the thing like there's a bunch of like dystopian futures i see as somewhat probable there's also some utopias that i i hope are going to happen but really all you can do is try to put yourself in the best position for whatever happens exactly. and that's why i think bitcoin is um probably the best way to do that like i would if i had to make an analogy i would say bitcoin is the arc for the flood of endless money that's coming and when you're building that arc everyone looks at you like you're crazy because like why do you need an arc that's what come on what are you doing and then when the flood comes everyone's like oh my god how do you know please let us on you know at that at that point you just stick your middle finger up at the as you're yeah, that's for every man to decide what they're gonna do if no, they're I'm gonna just kidding throw um, a life raft out or not yeah no ho hopefully uh hopefully things do go down that road i i do see like a big shift in us socially i just don't know where that's going to and the, i'll send you that video that i was talking about earlier um before we got on the podcast but just the the social emphasis that society is putting on on very minuscule parts of our lives has really bad implications for yeah. individuals in general. Uh, I feel like, I feel like, like this stuff that we're talking about right now and something that could potentially save someone's life in terms of like financial crisis or just financial prosperity is never taught to us. It's like almost hidden from us. We have to learn from people online that on you know social media platforms about these types of things and that's that's what's kind of like scaring me is that you know it's for a reason yeah of course obviously and that's what i was trying to get to when we were talking about the yeah. the controlling because like it seems like cryptocurrency and just the whole blockchain in, in general is like the liberation of the people from a controlling government but the bitcoin is i i, I wouldn't say the other stuff okay is, but, yeah a bitcoin um, for the, there, there's um a henry ford quote which is it's a good thing most people do not understand are the financial system because if they did there would be a revolution tomorrow and that's the thing like there's a reason that like most people are not taught about money in these government funded schools because if they did they would say wait this is completely bullshit and that like if i was to if you're curious you want to jump down the bitcoin rabbit hole or just try to understand money is like I think the worst thing you can do is write something off before you actually understand it. So if you think Bitcoin is a scam, you don't, it's old tech, like whatever, at least try to understand why you're saying that first and then make an informed decision. The best for your time, like bang for your buck, 21 lessons I learned going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Um, it's online, it's free. There's a real um, physical book, but you can read it completely for free. It's also in audio form. And it basically explains 21 different lessons, mainly just focused about money in our current system is in order to understand the problem that Bitcoin solves, you need to understand the cracks in the current system. Once you understand that, then you can say, oh, okay, Bitcoin actually does solve this. Because if you just like only try to understand Bitcoin without any context, then you're just like, this makes zero sense. Why would I need this? My dollar works. I can pay for stuff, you know? I'm just a little bit more, I'm not like pessimistic, but I'm a little bit more realistic. I just think that too much of society is already brainwashed by 
the propaganda yeah. that's out I mean, there. Most people aren't like, I, I just try to be like, not as like doom and gloom because that's like a, a bad spiral for me. But like, I definitely think like one of the most like important things is that like in uh, Fahrenheit 451 in like uh, 1984 in those books, like the way those governments and like those powers came to be wasn't from some violent overthrow. It was because people actually asked for that. And we're seeing that now. Yeah. where people are saying the government should have done more. They, they, they need to govern more aspects of our life. And there, there's a great quote that's, um, there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government action. You know, like I, I do definitely think that what you're talking about is there, there's a non-zero probability that we do go down that road, that route. However, the, the real question is, can you position yourself exactly. in a way where if that does come to pass, you have a plan B, you have some way to opt out and save your family, save your life from some dystopian form of government. And who knows, maybe it's great for a period of time, but nothing lasts forever. Definitely. No, I agree. I'm not one of these freaks out here that's like worried about it. You know, every day I know that there's some people on the side that kind of sides with us. They're like freaking out for doomsday every day. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, except put yourself in a good position, like you were saying, that's going to set you up financially and securitively. So you have a prosperous life, regardless of whatever the fuck happens in society. Um, but this has been an amazing podcast. We definitely have to do this one again in person to get other perspectives. Zane, thank you so much for your time, bro. If uh, anybody wants to reach out to you, I don't know. Do you still have Instagram, bro? I don't see you on social media. No, I, don't, I don't use Instagram. I have a, I use Twitter. That's like my main, like, source of like that's like the only social media i use it's like um ab zane with two e's ab zane and you have a youtube channel too right um i posted like one video i'm i'm working on one big thing which basically is trying to put all of my ideas on like money banking and then bitcoin to try to put it all into something digestible but yeah like i don't i don't like post like frequently enough i have like one video that's um what is money so that basically goes into the banking system and like our current fiat money. Definitely. Anyways, guys. So for Alex Zane, I'm old school, Matt. This has been another buff talk live. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Make sure to go check them out and stay tuned for more stuff from us. Take it easy guys. Hey guys. Thank you guys for checking out this video. Make sure to go check out all of our other podcasts, Buffalo barbecues, our Buffalo workouts, and also a slew of other things, including challenges and whatnot. So make sure to check out all of these different things. Thank you guys for watching. I am Old School Matt here, and this is Water Buffalo TM. Peace.